Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Alumless. So good to have you with us. I am Ryan Catherwood. The gentleman there sharing the screen with me is Chris Marshall, founder CEO of CMAC. And Alumless is a CMAC production. We talk about alumni and donor engagement. Most of the time, sometimes we get distracted. We end up in different areas uh, talking about this, that, or the other thing. But generally speaking, we try to hit on topics relevant to uh, alumni, donor engagement professionals in educational advancement. Uh, today, we are not live. Actually, we are pre-recorded. reason for that is I am on vacation this week. I'm hanging out at the Jersey Shore. And um, yeah, so we thought we would pre-record this episode, make sure we could stay consistent and in your uh, LinkedIn feed, in your podcast feed. It's great to have you. But I think what happens sometimes, Chris, is that we actually have a great conversation in the chat, right. the comments section yeah. of the LinkedIn event. And I'm looking to see if I can be on live while this is happening. I will be. So I'll actually will be, while it's happening and the recording is playing, I'll be able to enter the chat and share, discuss with people. So jump I, in. I will do that as well from the beach. I will. Right. I, <laughs> it'll be good. I will definitely try to tune in on Friday yeah. morning. So if you're so, listening right now, throw something in the chat. Say, hey, tell us where you're from. Say hi to Christine if you know her, and you're going to see her in just a minute here. Yeah, special guest today, Christine Fairchild, Director of Alumni Relations at the University of Oxford. We are thrilled to have her. She is our second overseas guest. Yeah. Ryan, put up the the, the promo slide, if you can, real quick. Okay, again. all right, I'll put that back and up. Look at Christine's picture there. I know. That is a... Badass That's picture, an awesome Christine. LinkedIn profile. Yeah, you know what? You know what I thought of when I saw that though. That's like a Game of Thrones profile photo right there. That is, yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like great. I that was one of the better LinkedIn headshots I've Absolutely. ever seen. Dark, dark background. Uh, well, so let's get let's get the show started, Chris. Uh, you know, I was thinking about a good way to to start our discussion today. Maybe share just a little bit about of all the schools that you've worked with. Which one do you think has the most unique character? So most of our listeners and new viewers will, will know will probably appreciate the fact that we do a script on this. So I, we, but 80% of the time we stay on script. And when I saw this question from Ryan, I'm like, he's killing me because I can't answer this question on an open forum like this. So the answer is always whatever client I'm with has the best program and the most unique characteristics and all that. Uh, the reality yeah. is that all schools have something unique characteristically about them that makes it so much fun. Um, they, they also all say that they have the most engaged or, or, or loyal volunteer alumni base. Every school says that. And I say, yeah, you're right. You do. And, um, and I'm, 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 of course, I'm kidding about it, but they're all schools that bring something different to the table. A place like Oxford University, I mean, founded in 1200 something. Well, Christine will give us the profile here and more, but we don't have any of that here in the U.S. So this is a really unique kind of program we're going to be talking about. I guess that's where I was going with it. And you're yeah, right. I know where you were. Every school has a lot of unique character. And, you know, we, we will work with some really fabulous clients and every school is a little bit different. But uh, man, I mean, there is really no university in the world that's quite like Oxford. I've had the chance to be on that campus uh, once myself. And I really thought it was special. I have to say, and I'll share this with Christine when she was up. I had stayed in a hotel, went down to breakfast that morning on campus at Oxford, go down to breakfast. And who do I see at breakfast? Stephen Hawking. Possibly script out your one and only trip to Oxford University. You wake up, you have breakfast or day on campus. Stephen Hawking was having breakfast. 
his handlers and, and other folks were there. And of course he's, he's passed away a few years ago, but uh, that was uh, really something. I thought that yeah, that was yeah. kind of a special vibe. I've been there several dad. times. I've not met a Stephen Hawking along the way, but it's always uh, awe inspiring. If you, maybe if you work there, it's not, but I find that as a visitor, just going like, Whoa, when you walk on that campus, it's amazing. Yeah, it is a whoa campus. So how do these unique characteristics generally function to help us develop engagement programs? We look for characteristics. Yeah, unique we, yeah we actually ask in our interview, when we do a program review, we ask, what's the secret sauce? What's the unique characteristic of the place? And and we often get, you know, we'll hear from staff and alums who tell us what the thing is. And you hear these passionate replies and really fun answers. And and what the, the follow-up question is, how does that play out in your alumni program strategy? And again, it's going to depend on the institution and what that tradition or that unique characteristic is. So I'm not, I'm going to stay agnostic here, Ryan. You're not going to get me to talk about one place because I'll end up getting in trouble from all the alumni people listening to this later on. So that's so consultant of you. I know it was know? such a BS consultant Jeez. answer, Ryan. I'm oh, sorry. Man. <laughs> the answer today is Oxford. How about that? That's a, well, there we go. That's where I was going with it anyway. All right. Well, let's bring out Christine uh, to our conversation. Great to have her join us. There she is. Hey, Christine. Hello. <laughs> Fantastic to have you join us. Thank you so much for taking the time on this Friday afternoon, your time. Delighted to, to be here. It's a lovely, hot, sunny summer day here in Oxford. That's fantastic. Well, you've recently announced that you're leaving the University of Oxford. Congratulations on a successful 12 plus year run there. Uh, as you reflect a bit on your tenure, you know, what do you think made Oxford such a special place to lead a central alumni team within advancement? Well, you all just said it. You all just described this extraordinary environment. And Ryan, I don't think I can say that I orchestrated having Stephen Hawking there in the dining room as you <laughs> came down for breakfast. But it is that kind of a place where you're yeah. surrounded by the extraordinary history, the beauty of the architecture, the depth of the research and the uh, student body, the alumni that, that represents the alumni community are amazing. The work that comes out of this place, you know, we came up with a vaccine for goodness sake. I mean, really, mm. you know, you, you can't, we're not sitting on our hands here in Oxford and to have that combination of both history, tradition, a deep respect for the past, but at the same time, an incredible commitment to making the future better. Um, wow. What a, what an opportunity. You're in that every single day, Christine. It's just amazing. Truly. Honestly, there are days where I think, okay, somebody's going to come along and move that slide or slide that sort of scrim away because this can't be real. This, this sort of these buildings right. and this backdrop, this can't be real. But uh, it is. Yeah, yeah it's no, like it a, a Hollywood uh, script uh, typecast. Set. All that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, in fact, they, they filmed some of Harry Potter at Oxford, right? Do they I have did. That? They absolutely yeah. did. And and there's you know all of the. Um, Morse shows, Morse and Lewis and Endeavor and any of those TV shows that you watch, these detective shows are all filmed in Oxford. So it, me it means that the constant sort of barrage of tourists who want to yeah, visit that, Morse's yeah. house or want to see where Harry Potter, you know, <laughs> stepped on his broom and flew off. I mean, all that stuff is very much um, sort of part of what we have to deal with here. You know, and we are a living, breathing city. And when you talk about being on campus, the reality is there is no campus. We are a city and the right. university is yep. embedded deeply in Throughout that city. Yep. Uh, and, and what's amazing is 
the 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 colleges that live on the streets with these big gigantic wooden doors and these beautiful facades you know behind those are are acres and acres of gardens and most beautiful backs sort of backstory that um, only make it richer. So you're only, when you're a tourist, you're only seeing just a little, Bastard, a little fraction yeah. of yeah. what it is. Yeah. It's just remarkable. T tell the listeners real quick. I know I told you we might go off script, but this is an easy one. Give them oh, good. A, give our listeners a profile of Oxford. Some people may not know. When, when was it founded? How many well, colleges? How's it set up? Alumni population? Those kind of things. I had to actually pull out my little cheat sheet to find out when it was um, founded because I can never remember. The reality is there's no clear date of yeah, foundation. Okay, right. The most we know is that teaching existed by 1098. Wow, 1098. 10, wow. Hello. <laughs> um, and the first overseas student, the first foreign student, was in 1190. <laughs> Emo of Friesland. Okay, good to hear. Yeah, Emo there you go. Emo of No, sadly, Emo has Emo has shed these mortal coils. But um, <laughs> but so it is. It is an ancient, ancient university. There are currently three hundred and fifty thousand ish alumni yep. here. I mean, alumni of the university, um, and they're in you know a hundred and some odd countries around the world. I yep. mean, it's it's an extraordinary diaspora and an amazing. Um, reach and breadth of into every obviously every industry in every corner of the world it's it is it is remarkable and there are 39 colleges you asked about colleges yeah. so this yeah, is yeah, right. and we'll get to this i know this is one of your questions but um but one of the most complicated factors about oxford or na navigating oxford is the very decentralized nature of it and the fact that there are these small discrete ecosystems of colleges that have their own traditions and their own history and their own culture, their own way of acting or behaving, plus their own staff. They have their own alumni relations people, their own development staff. So it becomes a bit of a challenge to navigate this very complicated, decentralized structure and create any kind of a unified experience for people. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine so. And I definitely want to continue to build on that, that notion that the sort of embracing that decentralized culture, because you can't really fight against it, right? It's so important. No. <laughs> you, you would want you would want to lean into it, right? And I think that yeah. that's important. Uh, Christine, I was thinking about, you know, you've had such an awesome tenure at Oxford, but uh, I wanted to ask you if, if there was something you could go back in time, do again, maybe uh, was there an initiative that got away, kind of, if there's something that you would have loved to sort of try again or do over, what might it be? Yeah, that would be tough to pick one, Ryan, to be honest with you, because I think this job is so big huh. that there are so many things that I wish I could have done. That, that frankly, by virtue of the history of the colleges and the relationship of the college and the central university and the departments, um, that what I've been able to do is more incremental. I can't say that I've achieved everything I wanted to achieve by any means because there's so much across this very complicated institution. Um, I think one thing that would have been terrific would have been to be able to embed in and integrate more of the technologies, more of the digital space. We are so woefully behind when it comes to that kind of thing um, that as a result, the experience that alumni have with us is very bumpy. And if we could have figured out a way to be more joined up digitally um, with the more of the systems there to support what we do, I think overall we would have been in a better place. So that yeah. that might be one, but but that's going to be probably my successor will say the same thing after ten years as well. <laughs> oh god! 
Yeah. Well, Chris, I wanted to throw this one at you. I mean, I imagine that there are many disadvantages, I suppose, right? With having a strong decentralized culture, if you are leading a central alumni advancement program, but there has to be some advantages as well, right? Um, what In your mind, what do you think that those might be? And we could let Christine maybe follow up yeah, on I'll that. give a quick one. And I love to hear Christine's thoughts about it at Oxford specifically. But, there, you know, I came up with two categories through the internal advantages and what is it to alumni on the outside. You have 39, uh, in your case, uh, examples of potential best practices and ideas that are being generated. So you can partner and collaborate, align, lean in together and say, how can we do this? So there's thought partnerships with what I was saying there and potential collaborators. On the alumni side, I think for me, it, it you're going to be, if that's the approach, then I'm going to be hearing as an alumnus from the thing I care most about. My passion and alignment with the with Oxford is with that college. And and when I hear from them, that's going to want to make me engage versus I'm hearing from the big behemoth of the institution. So um, the other one I, I think that would be beneficial to alumni is that we talk about, Ryan, a lot about curating content across an institution to deliver to alumni to add value what better place to curate content at than a place like Oxford? So the value to alum could be off the charts if we're pulling that. All that is assuming, Christine, that you have these amazing collaborative relationships with all your colleagues across <laughs> the institution. But but I'm sure some are on that category, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the benefits of dealing with a, a decentralized structure that has so many different little ecosystems, as I said, is that the richness of the experience that alumni can have is extraordinary. They can have an experience with their college that is this kind of experience. They can have that kind of an experience with their department. They can have a totally different experience with the alumni office centrally because we represent the aggregate. Um, so that means that you as an alum can curate, hopefully curate your own relationships in the in the in the sort of mm. the percentages that you want to curate them in, or in the yeah. in the strengths that you want to curate them. I think the challenge then is for us to make that easy for you. The other challenge is, is for us to be able to gather the kind of either behaviors that you're exhibiting or the preferences that you have and use that data in a way that really gives you an experience that is uh, manageable. Right now, it's basically we're just throwing everything at you. You know, you're hearing from your college, you're hearing from your department, you're hearing from your rowing club, you're hearing from the museums, uh, you're hearing from the central office um, without any coordination of that message. So right now it's very much every tub on its own bottom, as we used to say at Harvard. Um, and I think that is doing a disservice to the individual who is experiencing a much more defined, where they define it, a defined relationship with a lot of their uh, institutions because they can do that. The institutions are set up technologically or right, digitally right, to be able right. to to do that for people. Um, so if, if I imagine, you know, my dream in in the, you know, in the far future is to have some kind of a curated platform or portal where you can experience the Oxford that you want. I want to hear from my this, from my that, from my this. And and, and I want to change that. In 10 years' time, I'm going to be a different sort of person. I'm going to have a different right. set of needs. I want to keep moving that around to relate so, so that it's relatable. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I think I remember you mentioning that in, we're going to talk about this in our bonus segment, the um, Sue Cunningham's book that she wrote, where th that was something that you reflected upon at... Um, something that you would love to see happen at the University mm -hmm. of Oxford, that sort of 
ecosystem for alums that they can customize and mm-hmm. it's and it has the experience that you can build. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan, so if I you like could the go- teasing the bonus section. That was a nice move there, by the way. Yeah, teasing <laughs> exactly. the bonus section. <laughs> don't, aren't aware, um, don't go listen- away. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> aware, listeners, you can catch our 30-minute bonus segment. Exactly. With for and all and of our a set of steak knives. <laughs> <laughs> Courtesy Stay of for the drawing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you could go back and give yourself some advice, uh, Christine, in 2011, just starting out at Oxford, what would you go back and tell yourself? Gosh, it's such a good one. And frankly, I think this is, might be a universal one for anybody in a new job, is really give yourself the time to listen. And I mean, don't assume that you have to go into this new job with all guns blazing. I got the answers. You hired me. I got it. I, I got this. Don't worry. Um, because frankly, especially going into a place like Oxford which is so consensus driven. This is not the kind of thing where you can go in and overnight or even, you know, in the first three months make any kind of an impact because you need to build trust and you need to build awareness and you need to build um, respect and all that stuff. So I think I would spend, have spent more time really listening hard, really getting out and listening hard as opposed to thinking I needed to hit the ground running and make some early wins. So that would probably would be Christine it. of 2011 listened. You know, I think I was so overwhelmed that I got this job <laughs> that I think I was just, I felt I needed to prove something quickly. Now I'm not yeah. saying that I did anything in the first three months that I was successful in any of that strategy of mine. Um, compelled but, to act, right? Yeah. Right. But I, but I think actually, and I'm not going to say sound, I hope I'm not going to sound like I'm bragging. I think I'm a good listener. Sorry. What'd you agree. say, Chris? <laughs> Um, I would agree. So, We've interacted enough to know. I think you are a thoughtful, listening um, individual. And it, it's got to be hard, though, at a place that has a thousand year history almost, right? You've been actually, doing this for a What was harder, frankly, was listening enough to know and understand where the center of gravity is. That's the yeah. hardest thing about this yeah. place is knowing right. who makes decisions, where yeah. is that center of gravity, and, and how do I get to it? Yep. That's hmm. a really good way to put it. Center of gravity. I know exactly what you meant when you said that, right? Because it's, it's the lovers and influencers. Place. Yeah. Well, and just, I, so I want to add just a little bit of color, which is that at Oxford, do I have it right, Christine, that the colleges and the schools are also residential. So yeah. you, you live there, you've enrolled in that college, you're studying at that college, your friends, your classmates are all at that college, which is mm-hmm. part of the university. Yeah. So it's different pretty than much every college. No, exactly, and and it's different from say the you know the houses at Harvard, um, which are which are very uh, you know Elliott House has a very different uh, image to it than Lowell House does. They all have their sort of characters, but here you know when you have a college affiliation, that college affiliation sticks with you for the three years. It's very important. You usually live in college for the first year at least, if not two. The third year. It's only a three-year program. You will often live out because there just aren't enough college accommodations for all the students to live in. Um, okay. But you're right; it is the it is the universe that you know and you see, and, and that yeah. you're so you're so shaped yeah, by deep affinity. It's like 39 liberal arts colleges around a, a university. Is what it kind of as you described it. It kind of felt like to me. Yeah, it's true. And and interestingly, each college teaches everything. How no. efficient is that? Not, but uh, but it's Oxford. So they can do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like we could have a long conversation about just that. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, well, so, uh, Christine, looking back over your tenure, what are some of the initiatives that you're most proud of? 
Um, I think it might be that one about building trust. I think there was such tension between the colleges and the center, and there still is when it comes to fundraising. There still is that that sense that these alumni are mine, uh, and and the central development office. You can't talk to our alumni unless you ask permission. Um, so I think a lot of what I've been able to do is to kind of build a trust amongst my colleagues in the colleges, a real respect, I think, mm. a sense of, of carving out more obviously what our role is versus what their role is. So we really talk about, you know, how they own that nostalgia. They own that experience. It's an emotional connection with their alumni, whereas the departments really own the head of alumni, if you will, they own that, that sort of intellectual curiosity. And what our office does is really serve as the great convener. We bring everything together for you, the individual, the alumni, um, uh, to have access, to have access to that great content, to have access to the great resources, the uh, information, the, the, the sort of the latest research, the benefits, the services, the network, the wider network, all that stuff. So we've really been able to, I think, much more crisply carve out our role in supporting alumni relations or alumni engagement. And to say, we've actually gotten, I think, the colleges to realize that alumni engagement is not a unilateral affinity. In other words, we all have many chambers in our hearts. We all care deeply about multiple institutions that we support and that there should be room for us to have multiple relationships at this university. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as you said earlier, they may change over time. Absolutely. They'll change over time. Definitely. Definitely. Yep. So Christine, if, if you were to provide your successor some advice, maybe not the you just go on the effective listening tour advice. What what other advice might you have? Maybe particularly around the area of embracing the decentralized culture there. Um, I think it would be probably to rationalize and describe the value proposition more appropriately. In other words, or not appropriately, it's not that we haven't described it appropriately, but more succinctly. In other words, I don't think we are as good yet. And this is cultural too, because in England, you know, the expectation that it's very different than in the US, you know, you don't have the same raw, raw sensibility around your institution in England as you do in the US. The, the expectation when you start as a student in year one, back in the US is that I'm part of this community and that community extends beyond my four years at college. And that alumni community is sitting there waiting for me and I'll be able to take advantage of it as a, uh, as I grow and need help. Whereas that simply isn't embedded in this culture here. So I think there's a lot to do to explain to people the power of that network, the potential for it to support itself and each other. Um, the importance of, engagement and what engagement even means that it's not you know europe used to lead with fundraising before they even had any kind of a relationship yep. with their yep. alumni they just led with we need your money well needless to say that didn't work very well so um it's really talking about the value proposition really really explaining and 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 framing that value proposition that is relevant and responsive to the individuals today. Um, we need to be sure that we are presenting ourselves not as an old, fusty, musty, um, you know, black tie dinners at high table kind of thing that may have been, that may still be available to some. But the reality is we are an agile, 
open, expansive, responsive university that is um, that is yours to take advantage of. It's your home base. Christina, with apologies to Ryan, I, I was supposed to ask that question and I dropped the ball, but thank you for covering. I filled it. in, Chris. I knew <laughs> you, that that was you were great. You're amazing. But let me do, let me follow here. You know, let me follow up. So so the position is so you're in it until what date? August 16th. That's right. I remember it's August now. Um, and the position is posted and the search is active. August right now. 18th. It is. It's active right now. Richmond Associates is handling the search okay. and um, really encourage all interested people to throw their hat in the ring or to learn more about it. You know, you took that I, cue I, perfectly, Christine. You knew I was giving a you a commercial opportunity right there. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I do think it is an extraordinary opportunity. This is a, an extraordinary time in the history of the university. We have a new vice chancellor who is so fizzy and fun and wonderful. And she's got a vision. She's putting that vision into practice now. And there's going to be expectations around alumni involvement. There will be, you know, important work done on fundraising in terms of uh, probably down the road, not too far, a capital campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, there is so much that's happening right here that is making it the job for for now. It's great. I cannot say enough about it. I posted uh, yeah. last week about a position open at Stanford and Ryan yeah. on my post and said, and I had said something about it's a great program. About it, and, I, and he wrote Oxford and Inseat are open to it. Yeah, they're not bad either. They're too good. Oh, but there. it is, it is quite amazing, isn't it? That those two jobs are open and it's been yeah. fascinating. I've gotten a couple of emails about, about the Stanford one, because I did think before when I left HBS, I thought, well, where do I go now? Eh. Stanford would be pretty fab, pretty fab. <laughs> Never thinking that Oxford was even in the mix. So wow, wow, cool. And for for listeners don't know that Christine came from the Harvard Business School, where you yeah. had been for a number of years, and I would imagine it was a, that was a fantastic experience. I suspect perhaps a bit, quite a bit different than the so media. different because it was a little. It was like being in one of the colleges. You know, it was an inside, you know, uh-huh. departmental focused, seventy five thousand alumni. Uh, so it was, yeah, that was quite different from that standpoint. We could control everything. <laughs> that's what business school leaders said like the person at Saeed probably at Oxford is probably somebody who has their own little kingdom for alumni engagement is that a fair statement they do somewhat they do somewhat yes yeah. they yeah. do well so Christine you participated in a, a focus group that was used in the chapter on alumni relations in Sue Cunningham who's the, uh, the leader of case in the book, uh, Global Dialogues to Advance Education. Can you reflect on that experience just a little bit and some of the takeaways uh, oh, of that group from for your It was your so view? great. If you haven't read yeah. the book or picked up the book, you should, because honestly, Sue convened the most brilliant group of people, not saying that I'm brilliant, but I'm just saying that she had the most incredible people around the table for various chapters devoted to different yeah. different angles. And and it was such a privilege to sit around that table. That, we were yeah. talking about sort of what's different about alumni relations today. So so I learned a lot from others um, because it was an international group. Um, but there was a lot to there was a lot to take away. I think we were all really moved by the speed at which alumni relations has changed over the last 10, 15 years, um, really moving into much more inclusivity, much more uh, data analysis, the idea that strategy is led by data, much more uh, of a digitized experience, much more awareness of how alumni affinity changes over time and that we need to be more responsive to those changes over time. Um, 
more uh, more awareness of the of the leadership of our institutions owning the power of their alumni. In other words, standing up and saying our alumni are important to us and this is the way in which they're important to us. They define us by the way they live their lives, by the work they do, by the boards they sit on, much more of that kind of um, celebrating alumni, not simply for the gifts that they give to the university, but for the way they live their lives and the the brand extension that they uh, are, are part of by virtue of that. Um, um, yeah, it was it was a really great session and wonderful to sort of reinforce the importance that alumni play in institutions and the awareness that we're all taking of that. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff happening. And I think one of the to build on what you were suggesting and what Sue suggested in the book, and we've had Sue on alumnus as well, mm -hmm. just that, the idea of the importance of communication, uh, digital, right, in the intersection of what is alumni engagement and what is uh, marketing and communications mm -hmm. and marketing. There's a ton of area of overlap. That, Absolutely. You know, the fourth category of the, the four case modes, right, is communications, yeah. the top of the, of the funnel, getting people involved. Yeah, and being much more sophisticated about that as opposed to just kind of throwing the same thing to everybody, being much more nuanced and sophisticated about the voices we use, uh, the images that we use, all that stuff, yeah. Amen. I love that you just said mm. that. Much more sophisticated, indeed. Uh, well, hard to believe, but we have already reached the end of our uh, broadcast. It goes by really quick. Uh, it is such fun to talk to you both, I have to say. Mm. Thanks, Christine. We're, we really geek out on engagement. There's <laughs> not that many folks out there that, that mm. you know geek out on engagement. So Ooh. we have a good time. Uh, but Chris, we are going to be back in two weeks. Who is going to be joining us? Erica Arroyo. Erica Arroyo from the University of Miami. Uh, yeah. a, a, I, I was going to say rising star, but she's a star. No, she's, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. amazing. Yeah. In uh, a, a very uh, University of Miami, not founded in 1098 like uh, Oxford, but <laughs> but we won't it, hold that against you. No, right? yeah. Wonderful institution, but in a very integrated program where alumni engage in annual giving, spend a lot of time together strategizing and prioritizing, and it'd be fun to have that conversation with her about an integrated model and approach. Yeah, yeah, very definitely a very different approach at the University of Miami. Yeah. Had Erica on a webinar I did recently on their Keynes Communities Regional Engagement Program. They made they won a case award for it and made made some really sort of significant updates to their approach that she shared, and we'll we'll um, talk about that with Erica as well. All right. Well, we are going to record our bonus section with Christine, which will be available on the podcast version of Alumless, which, of course, you can subscribe using your favorite podcast app, or at least the main four or five of them anyway. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back in your feed with Erica Arroyo in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Thank you again, Christine. Wonderful. Bye -bye. Thank you very much. All right, we are back. Thanks for listening to the bonus segment of Alumless. Uh, we have Christine Fairchild from the University of Oxford joining us today. We had a great discussion on our live broadcast. Uh, well, and Christine announced recently that she was leaving Oxford after 12 years. And uh, maybe we could get a little bit of an exclusive from you. Uh, <laughs> any breaking news? Uh, if not breaking news, what are you thinking about doing next? Oh, I have no idea. I'll tell you one thing I'm doing. I'm leaving Oxford 
university, but I'm staying right here in Oxford. So one of the things I did decide was that I would not move back to the States. I would really want to stay here. I just loving, loving living here um, for all the reasons you could imagine, not simply the the uh, natural beauty, but there's just so much, there's such a rich, um, uh, it's such a rich community. There's so much going on here. So what do I want to do? I honestly don't know other than I know I want to shake it up. I know that it's time for a change. I know that there's a, I have an appetite to sort of re-embrace maybe some more of my creative side, but I'm also really interested in some project work. Maybe I'm really, I'm really kind of open at this stage and I I'm giving myself about a month and a half. Um, I'm going to close up my desk here I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to fly to America, to Boston. And I'm going to go down. I have a house on a little tiny island called Cuttyhunk Island off the coast of, of Massachusetts. And uh, I'm going to go there for about a month and a half and just, just smell that salt air and eat lobster and take walks and <laughs> sail and all those things. And really kind of re- reset my, my inner self. <laughs> when, when, uh, and, when, you, when you resurface from the island in October, Send me an email because CMAX got some opportunities we can talk about. <laughs> if you weren't going to say it, I was. Yeah, I knew you would too. <laughs> Project work, huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, seriously, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm just trying to say, sort of open to anything at this at this stage. I know I, I, I've loved what I've done. I've loved it. Um, so I don't. I certainly can't imagine not doing something. Um, but I just know that I also want to make room and space to do more things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got, we got lots of, lots of questions, but I wanted to ask you about a question that I had and we sort of alluded to this back in the, uh, live show, which was, there's so many awesome graduates of the university of Oxford. There are, you run into these world renowned individuals, whether they're scientists or professionals, whatever. I have to imagine doing alumni awards was kind of difficult. Um, but I thought I would ask you just about, you know, the way in which you sort of interacted with folks, doing honoring, honoring accomplishments, professional accomplishments, and then maybe you could follow that up with a story about a really interesting meeting that you had with uh, somebody famous. Ah. <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, interestingly, the colleges have a much better relationship with their alumni in terms of knowing who they are, where they are, and what they're doing, because right. they're, 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 it's a very personal experience that those colleges have with them. When it comes to the university and, and, and the alumni engagement, or literally the traction with alumni, it's much more of a massive kind of engagement as opposed to individuals. And when we did awards, and we did these things called the Distinguished Friend of Oxford Awards, those were and we'll see how they go forward because our new vice chancellor, I think we'll have some ideas about this. They were very inward looking. These were awards for two alumni to say, thank you for the work that you've done on behalf of the university across the university. It was not shining a bright light on the alumni for their impact in the world or, you know, and one of the things I've asked, uh, I, I've, I, one of my legacies will be a proposal to shift that to include much more of that kind of work so that, you know, we don't need to be quite so self congratulating, um, uh, but more focused on that impact that our alumni have in the world. Um, so, so I think there's huge capacity to do more of that. I was really struck by how, 
uh, for the last three days, two, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was spending a half day each day in our town hall greeting the graduating students. We were having this incredible graduating student fair kind of thing. And that was the first time I'd seen the students. They, they got one foot out the door. That's the first time I've seen them. We have no relationships, really, except mm. with a very small handful of people who are our volunteers who are leading our alumni groups out in the world. Um, when I do a big alumni event, I often haven't a clue who's coming. I don't know those people. When I was at Harvard Business School, because the community was much smaller, and it was a very defined community. I knew everybody. I knew everybody. So it's a bit, very different dynamic here. Working in the center, you don't have as much of that connection with or contact with people who are who are these remarkable, visible people. In fact, we, <laughs> we ordered giant life-size cardboard cutouts of people like Michael Palin and... Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of who the others, Emma Watson, some of our famous alumni who the students would recognize. We, we had to get cardboard cutouts of them. We couldn't get the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you get Emma to fire up to campus. Sadly, no, sadly. Man. No. Um, so yeah, so that's, so that's sort of the, 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 the way things work in, in this kind of a central, uh, a central role. Now that's not to say that, you know, so I've been, I was part of the honorary degree committee for a while, which was amazing. And you were able, we were able to choose who the university was giving its honorary degrees to. And in that case, we were giving it to people I've never heard of, but who were extraordinary people sort right, of, right. you know, who were discovering quarks and, and things right, and, and right. mathematical whatever. So I was in awe of them, but I didn't have a clue who they were, frankly. Um, uh, except for occasionally, if they, if they moved over into the arts, Pedro Almodovar got one one year and, and I almost fell over because I was so excited about him. I'm a big film fan. So that was, <laughs> and Sir George Martin, you know, the, the, the other Beatle was another person we gave one to. And yeah, so, so occasionally I'd have moments with very famous people, but quite often, no. <laughs> You didn't just bump into Stephen Hawking at breakfast. You know, Ryan, <laughs> you bumped into Stephen Hawking, not I. Look at that. <laughs> I guess I was really fortunate in that moment to have that experience. But yeah. um, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense what you're describing. That From the center, you're thinking about more mass engagement, right? Bringing right. Yeah. lots of people into the folds, interacting with students at major ceremonial moments, that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, I thought I would ask you to, to take a bit of a, a macro view of the field of alumni engagement again. And, and for U.S.-based listeners, um, which make up probably the majority of our listeners, mm. how would you describe some of the differences in emphasis on alumni engagement in the U.K.? And, and you did allude to some of those differences in our... Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think it really does go back to these cultural differences. The fact that the U.K. alumni... English alumni, British alumni, they didn't pay to go to university back in the day. It was all government funded. There was no sort of skin in the game, really. Um, there was no sense of paying it forward for somebody else to be able to go kind of thing. There was none of that obligation. Um, yes, people were engaged as an alum through their college cohort. So they would have reunions and that kind of thing. Um, but they were very just very nostalgia driven and very social. There wasn't any of that expectation around really supporting the current student body as a volunteer or networking or mentor or whatever. Um, there just is a very different relationship. And so I think um, you can't take an American, I mean, they, they hired me probably because I, 
obviously did come from Harvard and had some experience here, but but I think they weren't under any illusion that that I could come and bring the Harvard machine and just right. impose right. it on the university. Um, so I had to work very carefully around the edges of the university, working with the culture of the university and the traditions of the university to try to shift people's perspective away from alumni are simply a necessary evil. <laughs> In other <laughs> words, we educate them, but then they go away and, right, and they right. just cost <laughs> us money to have them, to have them think about alumni as being really our, our foot soldiers, our yeah, workforce, right, our ambassadors, yeah, yeah, all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so that culturally is just very different. Alumni don't talk about, um, I mean, they'll talk about they went to Oxford, but because there's such a pejorative, um, in the press, there's such pejorative um, press around Oxford being an elitist university that only accepts people who come from private schools. Um, that's just, you know, for the hoi polloi, uh, or I mean, for the elite. Um, so some people are quite embarrassed that they went to Oxford. <laughs> Um, so, so we've had to do quite a lot of work to kind of demystify that and really tell the story that no, indeed, a, a good significant chunk of our alumni are now our student body rather are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds. And we are doing a remarkable job of bringing the, bringing the, the people who are maybe first generation, um, university attendees into this, into this place. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite different. It really is quite, quite different. There was often e even issues, you know, when we would talk about networking and I would say, gosh, why don't we have a more dynamic, um, mentoring system set up for alumni to mentor students? Uh, there was a sense that, oh, we can't do that because it looks like it's, it's perpetuating the old boy network that, we're just hire, you know, we're either hiring or mentoring students who look like us kind of thing. And it's like, no, I mean, no, the reality is this is the joy of an alumni community is that you can, you can leverage people's interests. You can leverage their uh, professional work. You can, you can, you can have access to so many different dynamics of a person um, to be able to help you navigate the world you know it's it's great but it's just it's a lot of optics around that stuff here let, let, yeah. let me ask you um there's a lot of folks who have your role in the u.s who might have a portfolio or oversee annual giving erica next week we're talking to uh, has similar was fundraising any part or a big part small part of your role at oxford it was very separate, and and I was sort of delighted about that because the way the university is structured, as I said, the colleges had that alumni community embedded in them, and there was a, a uh, agreement made back in the day before me, I think, um, that the way you work around fundraising is if the university wants to raise money from alumni, they're only allowed to do that three times a year through through sort of regular giving campaigns three times a year. And if only if the alum has accepted those solicitations through GDPR regular, right? Well, that this is even before GDPR, but <laughs> yeah. now you're right. Now it's like, ah! Um, and, and what's interesting is if there's a very high net worth individual who is sitting in a college, who's an alum of a college, the university, and let's say the university has a project that they think that that person would be interested in. They have to go to the college and ask permission. May we please go talk to Jane right. Smith, who's worth a billion dollars. And the college could say, no, you can't, because we have a plan for Jane and and we do not want that disrupted. Um, on the reverse, so the university raises, Central Development Office raises a lot of its money from non-alumni. So these big God. transformational gifts that are coming in from non-alumni, 
if the colleges see a non-alum, let's say they meet somebody through an alumni connection, they have to go to the university and say, can we go talk to Bill Gates? And the university has the right to say, no, because we've got a plan for Mr. Gates. Or yes, why don't we go to Bill Gates together? We can collectively bring him a project that, or a series of projects that he would love. So my work in the alumni engagement side is much more closely aligned with the work that the colleges do. Right, right. So I, I don't have any fundraising responsibilities, but I am expected to, and rightly so, to amplify the funding priorities that the university has through our events. So we might put out an event, you know, a webinar on brain health, which we did a couple of months ago. And and there was a a lovely, you know, alignment with the university raising money to support research on Alzheimer's. Um, So, so that kind of, you know, sort of echoing of what the uh, the funding priorities are, I'm uh, we, we very much want to do. But in terms of any expectations of overt fundraising, we don't. Regular giving lives completely separate from us. We I report to our pro vice chancellor. So does the chief development officer. We're equals. Got it. Got it. I'm going to ask you my last question. I'm going to have to step aside. My timing is just such that I won't be able to stay. But Ryan's going to hang with you a few more questions to finish the webinar time. But my we we already plugged your. Position being vacant and Richmond Associates as the search firm. Thank you. Answer, answer this question. Why should someone out there apply for your job? Because it's the best job in the world. <laughs> Aside Why? from that, um, because as I said in the last moment of our talk, the, this is such an extraordinary opportunity yeah, I mean, to take an institution that is unlike any other that has got the reputation that it has, that has the influence that it has, that has the convening ability that it has um, to take it to a new level. And I really, I am jealous of my successor to be able to do that. This is a wonderful, wonderful time to work with an extraordinary team, amazing colleagues across this institution who are, who are as dedicated to this as we are. So yeah, I love it. I love it. Christine, I, do you, oh, Chris, you, you gotta hop off. Is that what you're saying? I, I was gonna say one last thing. Yeah. Christine, I would have been totally fine if you just said, because it's Oxford. I mean, that's the <laughs> yeah. answer to that question, right? No, but see, but we really can't assume. We just can't. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I agree. They, yeah. There's no. nothing worse than that sort of arrogance that, well, we're Oxford because, well, you know, we aren't. <laughs> I mean, we are, us, but there's plenty of us here in the US who look at this job as, as you know, the plum thing that's open. I mean, it's, we think of it that way. So yeah. Go, go. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> Excellent. Yay. Thank you. I'm going to sign off. Thank you very much for being yes, here. Thank you so much. Wonderful. It's lovely to see, to see you. You, you too. too. Brian, thanks, man. See ya. Uh, well, I was just going to ask a follow-up on that, Christine. Do you think that given that you are from the U.S., uh, that the team at Oxford would be looking for someone from the UK this time around? I don't think that they're thinking about it that way at all. I, I think they're being very open to uh, the, co- the 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 quality of the candidates, the skills that they bring, the experience that they bring. I don't think there's any kind of preconceived notion that we need to sort of do, uh, you know, we need to to come back to the home team at all. I think they really, in a wonderful way, are as open as possible to the best candidates. So, so don't let anything slow you down if you're thinking about applying. There's no there's no preconceived notion around that. There you go. Just wanted to ask that for all the folks out there who might be thinking about it. Um, but, but I will say this: just another yeah. thing, just to say, because having remembered what I what I went through, 
you know, 11 plus years ago, 12 plus year, 12 years ago. Um, it's not insignificant to do something like this. It is not insignificant. And it does, it does kind of throw everything up in the air for you when you make a decision to do something like this, because um, uh, back to center of gravity, you know, where do you belong when you, when you make a move like this? I, I wasn't quite expecting, I never thought about what if I love it and stay for a good long time? What does that mean for me? You know, am I, am I more American? Am I starting to be more English? Do I want to be more American? It just, it, it, there are a lot of questions that you aren't quite prepared to ask um, because you're not really thinking or projecting that far into the future, but it, it does, they, they do come to, to haunt you. (laughs) Not in a bad way. It's just, it's just important to think about it. To say, obviously, to relocate internationally like you did and, and to assume that type of role at Oxford, you know, it's, as you said, it's, it's a huge decision, major life impact. And now yeah. you're staying, right? You said yeah, earlier. Yeah, I know. Just that you, you, Who knew? you didn't imagine it perhaps from the onset, but right. um, you're going to, going to keep doing that. Um, so how do you think your tenure at Oxford over the last 12 years will be remembered by others? That is such a great question. I I have I I, I don't know. I I hope favorably. <laughs> I mean I I do think, you know, there is such a uh, I I've. Yeah, I I hope people will see that, that things are different. I hope they will they will appreciate the, the coordinated nature, the 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 mutual respect, the the sort of. Um, yeah, you. Uh, I it's a hard question. It is a really hard question. I don't know. I really wouldn't. I don't know how to answer that other than I yeah. hope favorably. Fair enough. I also, I, I'm certain that that is the case. Uh, but how about this one? Maybe a little easier. Your favorite Oxford memory that you'll always cherish. Yeah, there are so, so many. Um, you know, the city is just such a rich backdrop. Um both visually, but also experientially. And the privilege that you have of walking into the Bodleian Library quad and being reminded of how old this place is, or the privilege that you have of attending a dinner at Jesus at high table with you know, all of the pomp and circumstances associated with that, or the chance to go to the Sheldonian theater to watch the honorary degrees. It, I, I don't think I could pick one. I really don't Ryan. And I'm not, I don't mean to be sort of um, so sort of vacuous about this, but, but because it is such a rich place, the, the, the benefits and the, and the memories and, and the experiences come on, on every level of your senses and are, and are, are so hard to weigh up. Um, I, one of my favorite walks is a walk through a place called Whiteham Woods, which is up in the um, sort of just outside of the city. Uh, it's a wood that's owned by the university, and it's this extraordinary. I don't even know how many hectares it is, but it's huge. And and just the stillness of this wood. To, the fact that I can walk in in in, in a half an hour and be in this extraordinary place with this extraordinary wildlife and and beautiful uh, flora, I think it's just extraordinary. It's just amazing. So so I guess there's no one memory. It's just, it's accumulated sense of gratitude to be, to, and privilege to be, um, to be here. Yeah. I mean, I recall walking around Oxford, there's a, I would call it, I don't know, there's a main sort of thoroughfare of shopping and nightlife and that sort of thing that 
I recall how special that was. I was there on a November night and it started snowing and Oh yeah. Uh, just, oh just, Ryan, it, yes. It was yeah. really just like, okay, I, I arrived at what I imagined Oxford would be like. And I thought yeah. I, I think that's a great that's a great image. That notion of the something called the Radcliffe camera, which is the main library for the students, for the undergraduate students. Camera equals library in Greek, I think, or something. Anyway, it's this iconic building. If you ever think about Oxford, you often, this is the image that comes up, is this building that's in Radcliffe Quad, Radcliffe Square, um, and is perfectly circular, and the, 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 the dimensions of it are just so pleasing. And to walk through Radcliffe Square on a November or December night when the snow has begun to fall and the lights are lighting up the the building in the most beautiful way. You think I can't believe this is real. I just can't believe this is um, this is happening. So it's yeah, it's stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, to so wrap things up, Christine, I know you're busy. You have the weekend in front of you. Um, but let me ask you this one: We like to leave the show on kind of a high note around inspiration. Uh, where do you find inspiration? This could be in your personal life, your professional life. What gets your what keeps your engine running? Wow. So I I think it might be things like a Whiteham Woods walk. It is definitely being in nature. And I think one of the things that's amazing about living in the UK is nature is never very far away. You know, there is this incredible uh, respect for the green fields and the trees and this extraordinary landscape that we are that we're sitting in the midst of. Um, and that is so restorative on every level. I get a lot of inspiration, though, from my colleagues, I would say. I really do. There is an incredible network of alumni and development professionals in this space. And you're all part of it, you people in the audience. And to have that have, have that safety net of, of idea generation, of, of idea, um, testing out ideas, being uh, sort of a good source of of inspiration, that is hugely reinforcing. And uh, so don't underestimate your voice in supporting each other. I think that makes a makes all of our lives richer. So so huge thanks to the audience of alumni professionals and development professionals out there. You're amazing. I agree. I love this line of work and always feel grateful to have kind of fallen into it. And then, you know, you embrace it uh, that you've fallen into it because it feels like it's purposeful, but fun at the same time. Exactly. And uh, I really enjoy it. Uh, my last favorite memory of, of Oxford, that one little couple days that I was there was walking my suitcase up to the train station and then taking the train from Oxford to London, uh, where I did an alumni event, just the beautiful countryside mm-hmm. in that in that yeah. uh, train ride on the way from Oxford to London. So yeah, it is. It's just amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you, Christine. It was great to speak with you. I look forward to reconnecting with you, uh, perhaps later in the summer after your tenure. Definitely. Uh, at Oxford, but be well. And thank you so much thank again you. for your time today. And thank you, Ryan. You're you and Chris are very skillful at this. You make it fun and interesting. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Love.